Amen. Thank you, Rose. Praise the Lord. Young people are dismissed. Boy, what a blessing this morning, huh? As Pastor Dan said, it's good to be back in church. And uh, we haven't seen it. It's been four Sundays that he missed around here. And five Sundays. that Five. We Somebody's counting. Absolutely. Five Sundays. I think we should just withhold his paycheck. Actually, he's saying, man, you should double my paycheck. <laughs> Two of those weeks with our, or two and a half of those weeks with our teenagers in ministering. I tell you, I, you know, going on a mission trip to Utah and then uh, turning right around and going to camp. And, and so many of our folks involved uh, with camp, we had 44, I believe it was, that went up from our church and uh, ministered there and uh, or were uh, uh, campers there. And what an amazing time it was to go up to camp and uh, it's been an amazing summer, and I just can't say enough about encouraging to come back tonight as we're going to be able to hear some of those things from our campers and also from those that went on the mission trip. And they were, they were asking yesterday, well, which shirt should they wear? Should they wear their camp shirt or should they wear their mission shirt? And I said, well, wear both of them. We peel off, and Pastor Dan says, that might not be the best thing to do uh, up in front. So we'll see what they wear tonight. I'm not absolutely certain, but... Truly, uh, they, they ministered, and it has been a very, very blessed summer. So you come back tonight, and, and we'll hear both of those things. And then we're going to be saying goodbye to Yoshi as well. Yoshi, I believe, is in uh, Sutherland this morning. He's leading singing down there for the last time, and we're sending him to Japan, uh, going back home, and uh, going to be ministering there with the Craigs for a while and all. And uh, it's just exciting. And there's a book in the back. That you can sign as just a note of memorabilia for him to take home with them. And we'll be taking up a little offering for him to go back and everything. He's been a blessing. been here for three years in our church. And so tonight we'll uh, have brownies and ice cream also. All right. So if I haven't tantalized you enough on all those things, brownie and ice cream should get the rest of us to come. Going to be, what's that, and a cake? Cake and ice cream. It's not brownie and ice creams? It's Okay. Okay, I hope it's brownie and ice creams. <laughs> we'll make you some at home, she said. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we've eaten well at camp, as you can look at us. We, some of us have put on weight. Some lose weight. I told Brandon that uh, every day I looked at him, and he's, he, Brandon, bless his heart, washed pots and pans. And, uh, and every time I says, Brandon, every day you're in here, you're losing a pound. So just remember that, all right? So it was a lot of work. And uh, you just can't even imagine how much work goes on to feed 300 people. You can imagine washing 300 of these army trays. They're metal trays about this long and everything. And, and sometimes the dishwasher did well. Is that right, Jerry? And sometimes the dishwasher didn't do well. Peanut butter and ranch dressing became our enemies. And... Uh, so we, we survive. Well, Ernie, I, I marvel at the songs that were selected this morning and, and how they fit so well, the message. And, of course, always, you know, because the songs are scriptural songs and, and the message, the Word of God. We are, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we've been in the abundant life of Christ. And I, and I want you to uh, be aware, and let me change glasses so I can see if there's anybody else out there. Oh... Much better looking. You're a little fuzzy before. Now I can see the whites of your eyes and the bloodshot eyes also that are out there. So, 
We've been uh, looking at this life of Christ, and as I said last week, we are starting the second year. And I try to emphasize that because I'll be honest with you, until I started doing this study, I didn't realize the things that were the first year, second year, third year, or fourth year. And so it's important for us as we're doing this chronologically, as I've said, Luke helps us with this and Mark helps us with this. But Matthew is kind of all over the place because Matthew is more topical and he is presenting Jesus Christ as the king and so much prophecy. And so he brings topics together. And even like what you're going to see here on the Sermon on the Mount, all of it there. And I believe it was preached in one time in one setting. He is uh, 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 bringing, the Lord is bringing this, probably the the most uh, well-known message in the world. And this is at the beginning of his second year. And remember, as we have been talking about, he corrected the Sabbath days and how that the heart of religious people had gone astray. God's people turning their backs on God or then actually deciding that they were going to follow the letter of the law, which in reality, they didn't follow the letter of the law. They missed it. And they added their traditions onto it. And so Jesus, in in much of the Gospels, as He is talking to them, He is trying to correct an attitude that is ungodly. And so as we read His sayings and we see these things here, uh, this is after his formal calling of his twelve, and that's listed there in Luke chapter 6. We looked at that last time as well. We'd seen other times where the disciples came at Jesus' baptism, and then they came at fishing, and now this third time we see them assembled, and they are his disciples. And by the way, the word disciple means a follower. It's interesting that this word disciple is used primarily in the Gospels because they were following Jesus. And they were, the word uh, comes from a Greek word which comes from uh, a word that sounds like math, Matthias, which means a learner. And sometimes these disciples or these followers, some of them were saved, some of them were not. They were following Jesus. And we truly want to be disciples. We want to follow His teachings and, and that. But this word is used primarily in the, word, in the Gospels and then a few times in the book of Acts. But you know Jesus died he, and He rose, in, 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 but he, he ascended. And so what we find is in, uh, from, from the end of Acts to the end of the Bible, the word disciple is not used again. It's interesting. And so we see this crowd assembling after these uh, uh, miraculous healings. He's getting such a great crowd. In fact, uh, and there, uh, in Luke, he had, uh, he had set himself aside and then he goes up on top of this mountain. Or Luke uses the word, it means a plateau. And we see these twelve going up with him. And these other disciples or curious ones, some of them again saved and some of them not. And uh, and some people were going up there just to base, basically to find fault with him. So those were undecided people and people wondering what he was going to say. In the book of Matthew, uh, he covers the Sermon on the Mount in three chapters. Three chapters. In Luke, it is in one chapter and it is a part of it. 
That's interesting. I believe Matthew is the entire Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, there's parts of it, and then you'll read other parts of it because it wasn't just preached there in uh, on that Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus would reiterate it later on because the philosophy of the Romans was gone amok. And the Jews had gone amok. It was more about religion rather than a relationship. And so Jesus is going to try to correct the problem there. And that's why we see much of his teachings. He's basically saying, if you're going to be a follower of me, you have to understand there's going to be persecution. There's going to be problems. And it's it's like he's helping his disciples, those that are following him, to understand that this isn't going to be a cakewalk. He even says that the uh, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath no place to lie his head. And there were people who were following Jesus for what they could get out of Him. The the miracles and the healings and the raisings of the dead. Or Him coming to be King. And they wanted to come into the kingdom and to who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Even His apostles said that. They didn't understand. And so much of Jesus' teaching is under to help them to understand there's going to be persecution. There's going to be problems. And there was, wasn't there? Great persecution. And all these people that were disciples and following, many of them left when he died on the cross. But praise God for those people that hung around for his resurrection. Amen. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Jesus came to this world to save mankind. And he's going to give, if you were to look at the Sermon on the Mount, it is radical. Radical. If people are looking for a radical message, man, this would be a good one for them to learn. Radical. Goes so contrary to the Roman mindset. So contrary to the American mindset. It is not, hear me, the Sermon on the Mount is not the plan of salvation. Just like the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount actually shows us how short we come. The message in Matthew, I uh, put this on my phone, and I saw how many minutes was each of the three chapters. And I added it up, and guess how long this message took? Fifth. Minutes. Some of you are saying, Boy, I wish our preacher preached 15 minutes. I did a study on this back in 2003. And if you can imagine in 2003, and Lord willing, whether I will uh, do it this way again now or whether we'll spread it out in various places, I don't know, just however the Lord will lead on this. Do you know how many messages I preached on the Sermon on the Mount? 60, 60 Sundays. You say, is there that much there? Uh Uh-huh. There really is. It is amazing. We're going to look at one one attitude this morning. And if we go the same as what we did the first service, I only finished half the message in the first service. If it goes that way, Brother Larson, we'll be here until Jesus comes. 
And that's all right, isn't it? I, I love uh, the, the Southern Lights uh, 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 singing. You know, with the folks from uh, uh, Volunteer Christian Builders, Texas, Louisiana, Kansas, it's good to have the Southern Lights sing for them. And, and North Carolina heading back. Uh, oh, my. It's good to have some good old Southern gospel now and then, isn't it? What they sang, though, was a blessing, wasn't it? Only a little longer. You know, truly, we only have a little longer. The Lord's coming seems to be imminent. And plus, when you compare the length of our life to eternity, it is but a a, a moment. Just but a moment. And God gives us this privilege to serve Him. What we find, though, is those attitudes of service and and everything taking place is, is diminishing. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, He gives us the Beatitudes. And then he gives the bedoings. Is that a good way to say it? You see, it's going to be hard for us to understand how to go the second mile unless we have the right attitude. And I want to just say this. I praise God for the attitudes here at Westside Baptist Church. It seems like this summer that we've had three different churches spread out all over the place. Man, you got this group over here doing and working on the building and so many amazing things. And I've heard, I've not been there, Larry, to see. What I, I, I asked my wife if we could stop on the way uh, home from camp. And it, was, and it was her idea, point A to point B, let's get home. We got five loaves of laundry to do and we are exhausted. And I says, I agree. We came home and unloaded and everything. Tomorrow I'll get over there and see it. And I I tell you what, and the attitude that's out there, right? And the attitude of all those who are fixing meals and getting on board and helping with that 1,200 plates to serve our volunteers that are there for the next few weeks that we have. Wow. And then all the folks going to camp. I believe it was about almost half the people that work in the kitchen were from our camp. Wow. And I want to tell you something. That was a lot of work. You just asked Brandon. All right. Jerry, Jerry, it's good to see you here this morning also. Uh, I tell you what. I mean, he's an old guy. <laughs> and, and those volunteer Christian builders, there's a bunch of old people there too. And it's work. But you know what? They've got a great attitude. You would never know that some of these people are 70 years of age. That's not old. That's right. That's young. (laughs) He is trying to help with an attitude. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Matthew, why he spends these three chapters in here, is he's trying to deal with the heart, the spirit of the heart. Luke, when he gives his accounts to the Gentiles, he's trying to help them to understand their responsibility to others. Matthew's trying to direct them. And again, Jesus there, but in Matthew's account, is trying to direct them from the rituals of religion. Again, it's not the way of salvation, way, way of salvation, but it's the way of life. It is the abundant life in Christ. It is real life. And yes, you will see eternal life there in these chapters. Jesus contrasts the law and tradition. Paul contrasts law and grace. 
the attitude. You know, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy uh, 28, verse 47, Moses warned the people. He says, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with what? Joyfulness. And with gladness of heart. For the abundance of all things, you can imagine what God has done for us. Verse 48 says, therefore... If you're not going to serve in gladness and appreciation and just have a heart for God, he says you're going to serve your enemies. Moses telling his people. He understood sometimes the hardness of their heart. Sometimes people just go through the motions. That's an awful way to live Christianity. You know, that's why here at Westside Baptist Church we talk about being a servant and what a blessing it is to be a servant. Would you not agree, Matt, was a blessing to serve at camp? We say goodbye to you also this week, don't we? This week. He's going to, back to Bob Jones in second year there. Matt, thank you for serving. Thank you, Patrick, for serving. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for helping all these things and all those that came and worked and, and all that. He says if you don't have the right spirit... It, it, as, as, as he talks about your enemies, I'm going to tell you something. If we, we, if we were to spiritualize on this message, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, what he's bringing out here is there is a, there's a hunger and there's a thirst in your soul. A lot of times in the Old Testament, we see the physical ramifications that give us spiritual understandings. There are many Christians who are hungering and thirsting and, and empty in their lives and they're naked and they and in want of all things because they are selfish and self-centered. And he shall be put a yoke of iron upon his neck. You know, selfishness lends itself to, to imprisonment in the soul until you have destroyed thee. Wow. Don't ever lose your heart in serving the Lord. And sometimes we can get weary, can't we? Sometimes the things go up and sometimes they go down. May God help us with that. You know, Jesus in His teaching, and boy, this is radical teaching. Uh, He tells His disciples there in the upper room and uh, the discord there that He gives in chapter 13 of John after He washes His disciples' feet, including Judas' feet. He tells them, happy are you if you know how to do this and you go out and you do it. Sometimes people get the idea, well, the preacher's just asking for people to do something. No, the preacher is given opportunity for you to find blessedness. In fact, as you get in now into the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice these beatitudes. And, and the word blessed is the idea of happy. Now, some people choose happiness for the wrong reasons. And if you're trying to be happy to be happy, you're not going to be happy. Does that make sense? There are a lot of empty people out there. And yes, you can have fun. But fun can be the drug of choice. And when it wears out, your happiness wears out. When he uses this word happy, listen, listen to the description of, this, of the Beatitudes. Happy are you if you're humble, mournful, meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, showing mercy, pure in heart, making peace, Persecuted for the cause of righteousness, hated, cursed, and persecuted and lied about because of Jesus, excommunicated and denounced as evil. And you're supposed to feel good about all that. Does that make sense? Doesn't quite fit the 
modern day philosophy that we're living in and we've been sold a bill of goods my friends we need to get back to Jesus' teaching and then he talks about the rewards and then we understand salvation is not in the attitude salvation is a gift it is a free gift of accepting Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross but he has rewards to give to those who follow him right and we try to draw a clear line on that so that people don't get confused and think that they have to work their way to heaven. Can you imagine? Do you think any of us will ever impress God with how good we are? We're not going to impress God with how good we are. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. And God knew that in ourselves we are sinful people. And that's why God loved us so much. And He sent His Son to die on the cross so we could have everlasting life. God wants to reward you. God wants us to follow Him. And after you're saved, you can follow Him because you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. And you will find that many of these attitudes, it is a divine enablement. It is not your personality. It's not about your DNA. It is about divine enablement. And he's got rewards as you look in here. He says he talks about the kingdom of heaven, the comfort, uh, inherit the earth, filling with received mercy. See God called the sons of God. Great rewards. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God wants to reward you. And you'll find that as you and I wash the disciples' feet or go out and serve with a heart that is yielded to God, poured out our lives unto serving others, that you will find great reward in your soul. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that right, Arlene? Have you had a blessed week, Arlene? Absolutely. And, and, and she brought her little granddaughter this morning. She's I'm back. She's in church this morning. And I remember her going out there with grandma pulling nails. Man, that's a good thing to teach your grandchildren, isn't it? And out there this week serving. How important is it for us to teach our children to serve and to be servants? Too many of our kids are learning how to be consumers consuming that which meets their fancy rather than serving the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. Our kids today are miserable because they don't go on mission trips. Isn't that right, Michaela? And uh, Julia, did you have a blessing on, that, on, that, on the mission trip? Now, I don't know what you did on that mission trip, but at camp, the entire team of the mission trip decided that she deserved every one of them to give a five-gallon bucket of water and throw it on her. I didn't hear all the story, but I just saw them picking on her, and I was going to step in and help her, but I thought I'd get wet too, so I decided not to. (laughs) There's a limit of how far my service will go. (laughs) Then... When you look at this, these attitudes, to be able to go that second mile, to be able to turn the other cheek. You see what I'm saying? All those be-doings. 
It helps us to get the attitude right. And it's also important to understand how important this message is. This message is not for the elite or for the pastor. It's for all of us. And you read in Matthew chapter 7, this would be the, the last uh, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 7, uh, he gives us the therefore for this entire message. I don't know if you've ever read the last chapter of a book to find out how it ends. But he gives us, he says, therefore, all these things that I said, whosoever heareth what I have just said in these last 15 minutes. And you go out and you do them. Listen, church, it's not about coming and hearing. It's about receiving and taking what we hear and going out there and doing it. He says, you will be likened unto him as a wise man, which what? Built his house. Upon the rock. Church, we need to listen. The master creator of the universe is saying, if you'll listen to what I'm saying in these 15 minutes, and you'll go out and you will do those things, you'll be like the man who builds his house on a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. Amen to that. He is the firm foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says there's no other foundation. You can't have any other foundation in your life that will last for eternity. It's Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 says be careful how you build. Look at the materials that's going into what you're building. So he's talking about building this this house upon this rock, abound upon the principles of who Jesus Christ is. He says, you know the story there as he concludes this sermon and, and he talks about the storms coming. You all know about, I mean, these are terrific storms coming and some of you have had to weather some storms. They, by the way, he's warning them, storms will come. I liked what uh, uh, Gail said to me this morning. She says, you know, you've told us that there's ups and there's downs. There's ups and there's downs. Right or wrong? You know, I'm telling you, we have sucked into a, 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 a gospel message today that is not a true gospel message. People think that if you accept Jesus Christ, all of your problems are going to go away. I discovered that that's when most of my problems started. <laughs> I had a pretty carefree life until I got saved. And all of a sudden the devil puts a bullseye on your back. You get out there serving the Lord. You go out and do these things. There will be persecution. There will be trials. But only a little longer will we be able to serve Him. And heaven awaits us. And God's going to reward those who faithfully serve Him. Heaven's a gift, but there's a rewards out there. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians. What about the man who builds his house upon the sand? The Bible says, Great is the fall thereof. And so as we read the end, as we're starting this, understand how important this message is. Happiness, joy, the blessed life. Product of grace. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitude... 
And this is why this is so important for us to understand here. There were people up there. They were, they were disciples. They were following. Understand that being a disciple did not make them saved. They were following. They were learning. They were discovering. You'll find multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000, the 4,000. But when Jesus died on the cross, many of them left. And that's why his message is so strong. And here on this mountain, he's sitting down and all these people are up there. And he starts off and he says, and you know, most of us would think, man, if you're going to try to get a crowd, let's preach the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. He doesn't preach that. He says that he sat down and his disciples came unto him. When you see that word disciples came unto him, understand that he's not talking about just twelve. They were called, begin after a time, they started becoming called apostles. That means to be sent out. You see, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And so his disciples will also be those who would be sent out into the world and give out the good news of salvation. That Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. That's good news because that's how a man gets saved. And so these followers are up there, a multitude. Again, those that had put their trust in the Lord and those who were just trying to learn. Skeptics, even the, even the Pharisees. The religious crowd was up there. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit? If he were to stand up today, or if preachers were to stand up today and describe what it means to be poor in spirit, there'd probably be a lot of people that would leave. Because the world's view is the wrong view today. They're saying, oh, poor in spirit, that means weak or not having self-esteem. The world wants praise. The world wants the applause of men. The world is hungering and thirsting for money, prestige. First John tells us that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are the things that people are seeking after. These are the things that are going to drag you in the wrong direction. And Jesus is trying to give them the right attitude here. The world says you need to be self-reliant. You need to be self-confident. And that is just the antithesis of this being poor in spirit. And yet this attitude of the world out there actually comes and starts creeping into the church. And we start looking at people in their successes of what they drive or what they wear. Rather than in the attitude of which they convey. Someday I will no longer be the pastor of this church. I'll drop over dead someplace or retire or whatever it might be. Who will be the candidates of which Westside Baptist Church will bring in? Will it be those that drive the better cars, have the successful look? Will it be about their hairdo? I'm glad it's not about hairdos. Are you men to that? I told the congregation the first service, I have a hair done. <laughs> 
Or will it be about those men who will preach the Word of God unashamedly? Paul says, uh, I preach Christ. Each time a preacher gets up in the pulpit, it is not to impress people, but to preach Christ in God's Word. This wrong view can creep in to the church in a sense of spiritual humility. That is the wrong definition of humility. Some take this vow of poverty, being poor in spirit. Luke chapter 6 uses the same word, verse 20. It says that he lifted up his eyes and he sees his, these people following him. And he says, blessed be ye poor. <laughs> you say, well, I better go out and sell my stuff and become poor. There are churches and religions and things like that that think they need to take a, a vow of poverty. That's not what he's saying. There are actually two words for this word poor. And this is an intrinsic value in the word. And, and, and actually what it, it means is to uh, uh, be uh, reduced to a beggar. Destitute of wealth, influence, position, or honor. It's actually the idea of pouring out yourself and emptying yourself. Not being filled with yourself, but emptying yourself. Does that make sense? By the way, that's what salvation is. Isn't that right? And that's why I believe that he even says this is the kingdom of God. Because for you to get saved, for you to get saved, you must recognize that you have nothing to offer Jesus to get into heaven. You are a sinner. God calls us ungodly. He even says in Isaiah 64 that all of our good works are filthy rags to God. Can we impress God? Yet 80% of America used to say that they were born again and saved. Because they think their good works are going to impress God. How many funerals and how many people I talk to and how many people I witness to. And you ask them, do you believe you're going to go to heaven or hell? Do you know most people say they're going to go to heaven? And then I ask them, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? They say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like Hitler. I don't think God's going to judge me because I've helped some people and done some things like that. That won't get you into heaven. In fact, Romans chapter 4 says, a man who trusts in his own good works is not getting a reward of heaven, but is getting a greater debt towards hell. Wow. You see, for by grace are we saved. Something we do not deserve. Unmerited. And here, this poor in spirit is the idea of, of understanding that you have nothing. And He has everything. And you're exchanging your filthy rags, your sinful life, for His righteousness. Does that take some humility to acknowledge? You know, we talk to people, have you ever lied? And I say, well, yeah. What does that make you? Sinner. Makes you a liar. You ever lusted after a woman? Yeah. God, yeah. The ladies are saying no. <laughs> after the opposite sex then. All right. God, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Says you committed adultery in your heart. 
You see, this Sermon on the Mount is trying to show people how short they come. Because there's the religious right that's out there, and they're basing their eternal destiny on their religion. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have to understand that you, you are sinful and you need a Savior. And that idea of, of crying out, I am a sinner, I, I am a beggar, that cry. I, I remember when I was in Cameroon, Africa. But Larry, it was the first time, first time I'd ever seen. I mean, Africa is poor. We went to Cameroon, it is very poor. And I went to a village. I mean, I'll never forget what I saw. I mean, the poverty that was there is just unbelievable. But I saw a beggar. And he was crawling around on his hands and knees and begging for food. Emaciated body. And I remember him crawling around just asking for food. And I tell you what, that grabbed my attention. And God is saying that we are those beggars. And when you understand how lost you are, you beg God for mercy. Like the thief on the cross. He realized, he says, we deserve to be here. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And God had mercy on him. And God wants the beggar to cry out, God, save me. If you have not done that, you need to do that because that's the way to salvation. To understand you are a sinner and that that need has been met through Jesus Christ dying on that cross and rising again for you. That's God's love. That's what Rose sang about today. Wasn't that a blessing? Poor in spirit. But the church, as they come into this poor, well, I'm going to, you know, and, and there, there can be a self-righteousness in humility. You all know what I mean by that? A self-righteousness in look and see. Make, make sure you understand how poor I am. Or make sure you understand how humble I am. It's like the book written, How I Obtained Humility. I'm proud of it. If you think you've arrived, you've gone in the wrong direction. It does not mean a lack of courage or confidence. It doesn't mean taking a back seat. There was a deacon who picked up M.L. Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's uh, the book that I used for the Sermon on the Mount, and it was a, it's a wonderful book. Uh, his book is, is that thick on the Sermon on the Mount, just rich, rich, rich. And he talked about this deacon coming and picking him up at the airport, taking him to a speaking engagement. And the deacon said, he said, I'm a deacon, a very unimportant man. I'm just one who carries the bags. Sometimes people want to flaunt their humility. Here is a definition of humility that I've heard. It's not original with me, but humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is, it is thinking less on yourself. Do you catch that difference? You see, if I'm going to pour out my life and I am emptied, then I am looking at how I can serve God and serve others. 
And that's what this word poor is, is the idea. So we've covered the wrong views, the worldly view and, and the, even how it creeps into the church. And, and we begin to think uh, things that we shouldn't be thinking in our churches. And, 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 and sometimes we, we want people to see how humble we are. No, that's not it. We don't want people to look at our lives just like Paul says, I lift up Jesus Christ. We get into that attitude, then you know what? You can have a security as you walk along, not thinking what, not not pondering what people are thinking about you. That's the wrong kind of thinking. It should be, what are they thinking about Jesus Christ? Am I reflecting Christ in my life? And so let's get to the right view. This word "poor." It has that idea of emptying, and and you know there's there's two words for poor, isn't it? Even in our our English language. There's P-O-O-R, and there's P-O-U-R. Now, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, be careful how I use my grammar here. I, I uh, do not excel in English. Y'all caught that on before? English is not my strong language. When I was in my formative years in elementary school, I had rheumatic fever, and I was home for three years, second, third, and fourth grade. I had a homebound teacher, they called them then, that would come in once a week to help me to learn. And then my parents helped me the rest of the week. It was kind of the first homeschool movement, though it wasn't a movement back then. It was uh, because I was sick. And I'd lost out on a lot of phonics and things like that and all and everything. But, I, you know, I praise the Lord that, that uh, even though I mess up words and things like that, you folks are gracious, right? Hey, listen, at least I know how to spell the P-O-U-R. I impressed myself this morning that I knew how to spell it. I got it right. And then, I, in the first service, I says that's a, that's a, uh, a homily. And, and it, no, that's, that's a homonym. There's a difference between homily and homonym. When I said homily, the folks from Texas started sal- salivating. Salivating. They were thinking of homily grits. <laughs> Gotta be careful what you say, isn't that right? Man, they all left hungry after our first service. A homonym means two words that sound alike but have different meanings. But in reality, there is a truth of this pour is pouring out yourself. Pouring out yourself, emptying yourself. Uh, Jesus Christ was called a drink offering, and he poured out his life to rescue others. And that's kind of this idea of it. And God wants us to be that way, that we are helpless and in need of him. Now, let me conclude here. Number one, salvation. We are helpless to get into heaven without Jesus Christ. Number two, we are helpless to live for him without Jesus Christ. And here, the very first attitude is emptying yourself. All the rest of the Beatitudes are filling yourself. Isn't that interesting? Physics says two laws, uh, two objects can't occupy the same space at the same time. We need to empty ourselves fill ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and let's have an invitation time. Father, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, I believe that you have folks here that maybe need to come to Christ. May may just understand what it is to, to understand how poor we are 
We can't buy heaven. It is a gift offered to us by the creator of the universe because you want us to be in heaven. We have a choice to make and that is to recognize who we are in the deficiency but yet how rich you are. And Father, I pray that as we come to this invitation time, if there's some folks here that have thought more of themselves about getting into heaven than they should, that you help them to see their sinful condition and that they have broken your laws and that the only way that that can be paid for is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help folks to come to know you. Help folks to come to the assurance of their salvation because they've got a foundation that has been purchased and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No other foundation. So your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. What are you going to do with that? If you're not certain of your eternal destiny, why not invite Him into your heart? Why not call out to Him? You know, it didn't take much to convince me that I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. But I was hoping that God would look at my good and outweigh my bad and only to discover that that's not how it works. Because all of my good and all of my bad are on the wrong end of the scale. Jesus Christ can wipe it out and your reliance needs to be on Him, not yourself. Why don't you invite Him in? As a beggar would cry out, Oh God, save me. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That word call there is not a casual call. It is a fervent call, like a beggar would call. Like what I saw there in Cameroon where this beggar knew that he'd starve to death if someone didn't come and give him food. Call out to the Lord and say, Oh God, I am destitute, deserving of damnation because I am a sinner. Come into my heart and save me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you invite him in? Invite him into your heart. If you understand the destitute of your life, it it becomes a heart's call. Not a casual. Oh God, save me. Save me. I'm glad he saved me. He rescued me for what I deserve. The longer I've been saved, the more I realize how much He's rescued me. Do that right now. You can come up after the service if you have questions and visit or come in this invitation time if you have concerns or you say, I I just need to be saved. Then come. All they that come unto me, I will in no wise cast them out. Come unto the Savior. And secondly, my friends, as we're going to get into this poor in spirit as we serve the Lord, is we empty of ourselves and we fill with divine enablement to serve Him. There's a blessed walk. So Lord, now in the decisions that are being made, Lord, help us to make the right decisions. Help us not to be just hearers, but doers of the Word. Oh, Father, to find that blessed life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's a blessing to be able to serve. Lord, I know many of us are tired this morning. It's been a long week. People have served. Now help us to have the right spirit as we we realize. And Lord, help us not to to wear ourselves out because we've got the wrong spirit. Doing in the flesh. Doing in our own abilities. 
Well, that'll go south quick. So, Lord, help us to catch on to what Jesus is saying in his name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. It's not a normal song for invitation. It's Rock of Ages. I'm sure most of you know it. This is a hallmark song, probably one of the most beloved songs in Christendom. It was written back in the 1700s by a very young man who was sickly and, and had so many struggles in his life. He became the songwriter at 14 years of age. He died at 36 years of age. As he writes these words, Rock of Ages, you'll sense how that this rock, Matthew chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 3, a foundation. What a blessing. And he says, nothing in my hands, nothing in my hands, only to the cross I cling. That's what salvation is, only clinging to the cross. Amen to that? You grab hold of the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for you. God saves your soul and we can live for Him in the right spirit. Not in pride. Look at what I've accomplished. But oh, what a privilege, what a joy it is to serve the Lord. Let's stand together. Decisions to be made, I encourage you to make them. And then go out and be a doer of the Word as we get opportunity. We'll have it up on the screen if you need a book or anything. It's there. Let's sing it together. Think of these words. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin. The double cure, listen what it is. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. I bring simply to thy cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace come to the fountain cry wash me Savior aren't you glad it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that has washed away all of our sins. Isn't that a wonderful verse written back in the 1700s still being sung today? If there are other concerns that you have, if God has been pricking your heart this morning and you say, I see, I, I hope you've accepted the Lord right there in your seat. You cried out and says, Oh Lord, I see myself as a beggar. Do it before it's eternally too late. 